Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in the name of Jesus Christ. My name is Joel Hess, and I pray that you are blessed by today's message with faith in Christ, who is our life. If you'd like to support the mission of God here in Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. In the name of Jesus, amen. We will be bringing children's messages back, so uh, just didn't get the bulletin, and I didn't feel like doing it, so there. But we're going to keep on doing it, so kids, don't worry. It's going to happen. <laughs> Who's the greatest? Everyone likes that question. Whatever your interests are, you probably are quick to have lists, and within your groups that have the same interests, you probably argue about who the greatest is. So basketball, who the greatest player of all time is? Thank you. I didn't hear any argument there, by the way. It's Chicago, I suppose. But uh, Michael Jordan, obviously. And as we get older, we like to make sure our kids know this, too. So we get out the YouTube, right? Like, look what he did. Anyhow, greatest quarterback of all time? Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> okay. I didn't, hear any, I, didn't hear, I didn't hear one Tom Brady, I don't think. Wow, okay. Uh, I heard, did I hear Peyton Manning? Anybody? Anyhow. Kirk Cousins is the answer, and I'm joking. It's not just, that's your, <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, greatest college football team obviously is Michigan State. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. But Big Ten is very exciting now that Ohio State's not godly like every year, so it should be interesting. Or maybe Oregon's that good. But anyhow, right? We do this all the time, right? If you're into music, you got your best, your greatest band, you know, your best band and best genre, best director, Quentin Tarantino. You know, you can just go on and on. We do this. We even have like one, two, threes. Who's the greatest? But in our own lives, we do this too, I think. At work, you probably immediately could say, this woman, this man is the best lawyer in our firm or the best worker, doctor, whatever it is that you do. You know what I mean? We, we have immediate lists in our heads. And I know at Lincoln Park especially, what I love about it, it is driven, hardworking, striving to be the best. So I know you have the who's the best at school, who's the best, you know, right, in, a, in every aspect. Um, uh, you strive for it. You think about it. So it shouldn't surprise you that the disciples are asking the same question. Who's the best, the greatest disciple? right? Now, of course, Jesus is the best, but who's second, right? So Mark tells us that Jesus just started to tell his disciples what he was about to do. He says this to them, the Son of Man, that is the Messiah, that's how they would call him, the Son of Man, that, that guy, the one, the everyman, the hero, that everyone knew was coming from the Old Testament. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and this greatest is going to be put into the hands of man, of human beings. Not Jews, not Romans, human beings, this great hero. And he's going to be put into their hands, and they're going to take him, and they're going to kill him. And three days later, he's going to rise again. And I love the fact that Jesus says this really serious stuff. 
but it's so over their heads because Jesus is the greatest. I mean, these disciples were likely thinking they got on the right train. You would have guys out there in Jesus' day following rabbis all over the place. And uh, it's almost like university, when universities used to be actually higher learning. And you'd go there and you've got this professor, this wise person, and you would want to get in that person's class so you would sign up. Does that make sense? We still do this, right, school? You sign up for classes. That's how it was in Jesus' day. You, if you're interested in knowing more about the Lord and getting, being pious and being closer to God, different rabbis sold you their programs. You would select them. I'm going to follow that guy. He seems to know what he's talking about. Only Jesus didn't do that. Think about this. I just thought about this this morning, actually, while I was speaking. I believe it's correct. Jesus chose them. Think about that. Right? You, you went to school? You went to college? You signed up and you tried to get the person you wanted. A professor didn't say, I want that, that, that person in my class. Well, I guess once you get to PhD level, that could be the case, actually, by the way. Isn't that cool? So here they are, and they've realized, hey, man, we got the right guy. You know what I'm saying? They might have another friend like Jimmy. Who you got? Well, my guy, he's okay, you know. He's got some prayers he's taught us, you know. He's not bad, you know. Uh, you know, like hanging out at his house. And Peter's like, oh, yeah, well, the dude that we're following, yeah, he just raised somebody from the dead. And so they're like, we're on the right train. Jesus is something special. Quite frankly, he might be the, the one. And so for ha- to have him say, I'm going to be handed over, they were actually thinking. In fact, when you see Palm Sunday, he's actually going to take over the government. There's going to be a coup, literally a political coup when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and he's going to take over. So to say he's going to die, let alone be handed in t- over to the hands of men, just blew their minds. But I like how he said this, and Mark says they didn't understand, so no one asked him any questions. Because <laughs> maybe they're thinking like, is this some sort of illustration? You know what I mean? <laughs> is this a story? Is there a parable here? But it was so crazy, they were quiet. I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to ask him what the heck that means. And so they move on from that really serious episode, and they come here from Galilee to this town called Capernaum, to where they're going. And you would travel by Airbnb back then. Nothing new. Nothing's new under the sun. And probably one of them had a cousin or whatever that had a house, and they're going to stay there. And so Mark says they arrive at the house, and apparently on their journey, Jesus is up ahead thinking Jesus things. And the disciples were squabbling about something and arguing. And Jesus, I'm sure, heard it all, and plus he's God, so. And he says this, what were you guys discussing on the way? Now, listen to this. What were you guys discussing on the way? They're quiet. Why are they quiet? They don't answer them. Because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. And they must have known that seemed kind of dumb, <laughs> as Jesus is asking. Isn't that kind of funny? Does it not sound like real human beings, you know what I mean? Kind of embarrassing to talk to Jesus about who the greatest is, because obviously, Jesus, you're the greatest. So, you know, it's silly for us to wonder about who's the greatest, because Jesus, you're the greatest, you know, because that's how we are as Christians, right? We're here because Jesus is the greatest. Everybody says that. We all say that. But then we argue about, well, who's next? 
And that's what they're doing. And it makes sense because if Jesus is going to be king, well, who's going to be this, you know, minister of defense? Who's going to be the vice president? You know what I'm saying? Like, who's going to sit in parliament? They were pumped. And so they're arguing. I can just imagine the argument, too. Peter's like, well, you know what? I'll stick right all the way through. I'll never leave Jesus. I'm probably the most, you know, passionate. And then John is like, well, whatever. I'm the fastest, actually. John actually is the fastest disciple. If you wondered, he'll tell you. Or you'd have, you know, James saying, uh, you know, I think I'm the most pious. I'm really good at self discipline You know, I don't know what it is, but imagine the argument. Who's the greatest? Does it make sense to you? Of course they're asking this. Where's the pecking order? Who's the best Christian? Notice what Jesus says. Listen to it carefully. You got your American Protestant work ethic ears on, so let's hear, I'm gonna, I wonder what you're thinking when he says this, because I think it's probably wrong. He says this. He sits, first of all, he does this. He sits down, because that's what teachers do. Sit down, everybody else stands. So back then, the teacher sits down, now you listen. He calls the 12, and he says to them this, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now your Protestant work ethic ears heard this. Okay, all right. I got to be the most last of all, and I'm an, I need to really work hard at being the best servant of everybody. Does that make sense? If you want to be first, then you need to be last of all and servant of all. And we hear, what do I got to do? And I'm going to do that the best, even the last. You know what I mean? So when we go to potluck tomorrow or, or later on at Keating's uh, installation, I'm going to be the last in line. That's why pastors, by the way, always wait till everybody else is eating, just to look good. That's it. We're mad and we're jealous and we really want to eat, but we do that so we can be servant of all. That's what we hear, isn't it? But that's not what Jesus said. You're, you're hearing wrong because you're so stuck and your Lincoln Park ears and your Protestant work ethic and your popish heart that everything you hear, you turn it into something that you need to do to accomplish. Jesus is not saying this. Whoever wants to be first of all must be last of all, servant of all. It's not a thing you do, it is an existence. Servant of all does not mean you need to serve a lot. It means you need to become like that dude, and he's literally talking to the disciples that you just passed by, didn't even see. Because his station is life, his station in life is at the very bottom, the service. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying. He's not giving a job. You must realize that you are nothing, okay? And I'll show you in a second even more what, he, what he's talking about here. But this is so weird to us. It's funny how we can make everything into a pecking order and competition. I'm going to talk about that a little bit as well. Even in the concentration camps, there were pecking orders. Within those that were all about to die, there was good to worst, and there were literally people betraying one another so they might be the most popular and the strongest, and the same thing for slavery. Because that's what human nature is. We'll find a pecking order in a greatest situation in any situation possible, won't we? Jesus is not saying, here's things for you to do to be first. He's saying, 
Be okay with being last, because you are. Be okay with being just a servant on the side of the wall and not known for nothing. And he proves that, he, he says something next. Then he does this to prove his point, to illustrate his point. He takes a child. Jesus always does this. He loves kids. Not because they're cute. Maybe, maybe, I don't know what he thought about that. Maybe they are cute, but that's not why. He takes his child. He puts the child in the midst of the disciples. Remember, they're standing. He's sitting. He doesn't take the child on his lap and say, look at this little cute child. He's so cute. He takes the child and puts him right in the midst of them. So you get these big, burly Tom Brady's competitors for best disciple, strong fishermen, and you get this little kid standing next to them. That's the order. Looks ridiculous. You want to compete for the best disciple? Puts a little kid there and says this. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. He does that. And then, oh, this is beautiful. Actually, did he notice this? So he puts the kid in the midst of them. And this, it's an important word, in the midst, right there. He's one of them is the point. And then he takes this kid in his arms. <laughs> and he says to them, like he's holding him like this, and he's looking at him like this. Whoever receives this little kid who has my name on him receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. What does he mean by that? What makes this kid so important and awesome and valuable in Jesus' eyes? And again, our Protestant work ethic, default religion of our heart says, I don't know, but what is that kid doing that I need to do to be accepted by Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I guess I need to be cute. You know what I mean? I I really be cute, and God will love me more. Or I need to uh, be really, people say this about kids, right? They're believers. They're gullible. That's what makes them good disciples. Uh, What is it that makes that kid a good disciple? Why is he so important? And let me figure that out, just like, just like the Beatitudes, bless her all the more. And we're like, oh, I better start mourning. He's not saying that. What makes this kid important? Not his behavior, nothing about him. But he's got Jesus' name on him. You got Jesus' name on you, you are valuable. It has nothing to do with what you bring to the table. Your last and you are servant of all in your sins, in your unrighteousness, in your behavior. You try to do good, you do bad even. And your weakness and your lackness and your foolishness. But you are valued because Jesus says so. The external word that pronounces you a child of God. And when you see this little kid, I don't care how valued, because remember, you can't say this enough. Kids are not valuable. (laughs) Sorry, kids. They can't do anything for anybody. That's why they go to school. They can't drive a car. You wouldn't trust them to do all kinds of things. Our society would fall apart if they were in charge, except for Faith. She could run run things. That's why they're in school to learn, you know what I'm saying? They can't lift anything. They're weak. 
They're not esteemed in the Old or New Testament or the Greco-Roman world, and they're not here either. You wouldn't let them be. Well, I guess maybe we would like them to be a president, I suppose, maybe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's not esteeming childlike behaviors. What he's saying is, you don't value this kid because they can't, and you're absolutely right. But Jesus says, got my name on her. She's awesome. Why? Because I said so. And don't you mess with her. You have God's name on you. You are first, not because you do things, because he says so, because his son became last for you. You are a son, daughter of God because he says so. And when you see one another out there, you better treat one another as if you're talking to who? Jesus Christ. Oh, I know that person doesn't come to church much, so, you know, she's really not, she's not quite a, I, I love this insanity, and our, our church is the worst, not our church per se, but Christians, they don't, they, don't, they don't keep this lesson going. So you got ding-dongs going around teaching that there's a difference between a disciple and a believer. You're a believer, you know, when you first come to faith, but, but then we want you to be a disciple. Like there's stages of being a Christian. I've, I've heard a district president say this. That's insane. That's anti-Jesus. That's heresy, the highest degree. You are Christ because he says so. You are forgiven because he says so, and you are a saint because he says so, and not because you behave like one. Huge. Now, does that inspire you to want to be a better person? Absolutely. May God inspire you to serve one another and love one another but your value is what he says. There's a fantastic book out here called, by David Zoll called Seculosity. Please buy it. It's fundamentally important in our time in this day and age. And it's a book, it's called Seculosity, How Career, Parenting, Technology, Food, Politics, and Even Romance Became Our New Religion and What to Do About It. And this is what he, this is what he says, and I think this is absolutely important. Our religious crisis today, right, everybody says, oh, we're not religious like we used to be. Oh, no. We are far more religious than we've ever been. We are living in a puritanical society. Salem witch trial, the whole thing. You feel it? Go ahead, read, uh, what's the uh, popular, uh, popular play? Um, I just read it. Sam had to read it uh, a couple years ago there. Oh, what is it? It's about the Salem witch trials. Read it. It's going to freak you out. You feel it. So he says this, our religious crisis today is not that religion is on the wane, but that we are more religious than ever, and about too many things. You know what I'm saying? And there's books that are Bibles for everything. Better, you want to be better lover? And we, we compete. I need to be better. There's always need to be better. And I can do this and this and this. And we start comparing, right? And I can be a better husband, and I can be a better daughter, and I can be a better worker, and I can be a better workout. You got to work out. You got to hire harder. You got to lose weight. And then when it comes to morality, the new morality of the last four years that we say is sort of liberal morality, it's not. It's hardcore religious, and there's no forgiveness in any religion that doesn't have Jesus. And I'm not bad-mouthing it. That's just how it is. And we're falling into it. And we're religious about everything. And we have pressure 
And we judge ourselves by how good we are, or how moral we are even, or how much of a valuable worker we are, or how good of a lover am I even. Insane romances, he says. We may be sleeping in on Sunday mornings, he says, in greater numbers, but we've never been more pious. The marketplace in replacement religion is booming. You know what I'm saying? Jesus takes this kid, baby that's of no value, not good at any of those things, let alone being the disciple, just met Jesus moments ago. And he holds the kid like he holds us, holds us. <laughs> Puts his name on him and says, don't you mess around with this kid. He's mine, and I love him because I feel like it. And the same thing is said to you. Enjoy it, treat others like it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.